and welcome to episode 65 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. If you ask anyone who gardens, getting your hands in the soil can really help you relax. You get a feeling of accomplishment, and it helps to relieve stress. The same thing holds true with caring for animals, whether it's a pet or a farm animal of some kind. In the past few years, more studies are showing that agricultural therapy and animal care therapy can offer tremendous help for people with physical and developmental disabilities. Well, here in West Michigan, where we live, two women have taken this knowledge and are trying to create a sustainable therapeutic farming program called Growing Roots. Jessica Roost and Sarah Baker are joining me on this episode to talk about how they're getting their program started and their goals, which is to have a fully operational farm with a live-in residency program. I started off by asking him to talk about their backgrounds and how they met, and Jessica shares her story first. Okay, well, um, I'm an occupational therapist. I've been an occupational therapist for about 10 years, so I work with both children and and adults with developmental differences and cognitive differences um, and physical differences. Um, I also have experience with nature-based therapy from my time in New York. Um, I was working at a nature-based therapeutic both residential facility and school facility and I was able to see the benefits there um, which was really cool and Sarah I've worked in the nonprofit industry for many years um, and I have a passion for nature and for youth um, and yeah and Jess and I met um, probably about over 10 years ago um, through mutual friends and Yeah, we ended up um, becoming roommates, and then so we had a lot of time together to spend late nights talking about our passion for this, and um, that's how we kind of started becoming a team on this. Oh, great, great. Well, let's talk about uh, the idea for Growing Roots and where it came from. What's it about farming and gardening that gives you the inspiration to do this? Um, Okay, I can start on that. Um, So, like I said, we both kind of recognized um, or had a passion for nature and started to recognize a growing disconnect between humans and nature. Um, So we had a lot of long discussions about why that's a problem and what could be done about that. Um, And as I already mentioned, I had some exposure to nature-based therapy from my time in New York. Um, And so what we really found is that, that using nature as a therapeutic medium is allowing for a higher variety of activities um, that occur organically and aren't manufactured. It allows the participants to kind of select the just right choice. So they're allowed to, or they're able to choose from this variety of activities with all kinds of different levels of sensory stimulus, levels of motor skill demands, um, to find what's just right for them to challenge them enough, but not too much. And also the biggest part of it is that the tasks are purposeful and meaningful, and they can see that they are these people who have been cared for for their whole lives are able to care for something else or someone else, and that gives them a lot of meaning. And when you attach purpose and meaning to an activity, you're going to find greater success at a faster rate. That's great. That's great. So you don't have a farm to begin with, and your first group of therapeutic farming workers started back in August of 2016. How did you find land in order to start this project? Yes. So partnered with um, another local nonprofit, Blandford Nature Center, and we really worked with them to utilize the space that they already had, and we had the participants come there and really um, got to see what works and what we want for our space, Um, and so yeah, it was really a great partnership and kind of our philosophy of like, why wouldn't we partner with other nonprofits to um, keep this 
type of programming going. Right, that's great. And I know for uh, for our listeners who may not know about it, Blanford Nature Center is over on the west side of the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and it's just a wonderful little, it's kind of a, it started out, I think, kind of like as a uh, city farm for inner city kids to uh, get to understand about uh, agriculture, and then now they even have like a sixth grade elementary school program there as well. Yeah. 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 It's a great little place. Now, your website indicates that you're working on three phases of development in the projects. Uh, project one was getting the group out to start farming. Project two is going to be purchasing an actual farm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we would. Um, we would love to have a larger space, a little bit more um, centrally located to Grand Rapids for transportation purposes. Right now, we are borrowing land um, from a generous donor who is allowing us to use their personal farm as our space, and that works wonderfully for this summer and for this fall. Um, however, we, we would love to have more space so that we can accommodate the waiting list of about 42 people we have that we don't have the space for at the moment. Right, right. And so, obviously, donations are the key there, I can imagine. Yeah, and fun- absolutely. Yeah, fundraising and all that. Now, you've got a long list of services that you want to be able to offer in addition to the farming and gardening as part of your plans, which is where Project 3 comes in, uh, the last part of your plan to build a residential facility on the farm. Can you talk about what your vision is for the center and how you hope to pull all this together? Yeah, um, so a big issue right now is finding homes for our um adult community members with developmental and cognitive differences, um, homes that don't sort of um, put them in a position where they don't have anything to do during the day um, and that kind of thing. So to have a residential facility on an agricultural, in an agricultural space allows them to really have purposeful and meaningful things to do throughout the day right where they live um, and to be able to do that with others. And so we have, there are quite a few parent groups in the area that are really um, kind of coming together and trying to form some communities like this. So we're just sort of listening to what they're saying and taking that lead and, um, and moving toward that eventually. Yeah, great. I know one of the most difficult aspects of getting any project off the ground like this is, as you said, getting funding. And, you know, it's almost impossible to get funding from government agencies these days. Are you uh, focusing, therefore, more on local businesses or are you looking for uh, maybe national corporate sponsorship as well? Yeah, we um, definitely are looking at local businesses and community members um, to help uh, keep this going. Um, We have... um, looked at different local um, grants and programs that can also aid in this. Um, with being a new, newer nonprofit, it really is um, leaning on our community members um, because there's no such thing as too small of a gift and everything um, really adds up and is a huge help. So it, it has been families and people who are um, also passionate about our um, programming and movement and then also local businesses as we partner and buy items from different, you know, hardware stores and um, other businesses that it just kind of makes sense to then partner and kind of have a have a relationship with them. Right, right. This is really a long-term project, too, I imagine. It's going to take a while. Also, a big part of the past year or so, or really since the beginning, has been really networking with the agencies around us. So disability advocates and Network 180 and agencies like those, um, we've really been working hard at trying to um, collaborate with them so that we can, not not necessarily for um, funding 
primarily, but just to have that collaboration to help with various funding sources and diversifying our funding sources. Sure, sure. And the more uh, the more local organizations you can work with, the uh, more willing people will be to say, okay, well, you do have a good plan here, and uh, we want to try and step in and help, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely making an impact on their direct community really appeals to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, a lot of people don't often understand how much regulatory requirements have to be met for getting both a nonprofit charity started, but it's probably even more so with an agricultural-based charity. And there are miles of regulations, I can imagine, between the state and the federal government agencies when it comes to uh, putting something like this together. What are some of the bigger challenges that you've had to make in uh, making Growing Roots happen? I would say a big, um, a big barrier is that... The community mental health um, sees this kind of a project or this kind of an organization as um, segregation when it's completely the opposite. Um, because there are, because it's a group of people with differences working together, then they don't see that as them being in the community, and so they're less willing to um, provide referrals and funding and things like that. And so to combat that, we really have to make sure that we have a one-to-one -one ratio of volunteers to participants and that we are really getting in the community in terms of having farm stands and going to farmers markets and um, going and visiting you know, other various agricultural settings and kind of making sure that we're not just one group of people staying in one place sort of a thing. Hmm. I find that interesting that uh, they would uh, be against it for that kind of a reason. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is a big um, barrier with several organizations similar to ours as well. So it's something that we all kind of talk about and try to work with them to explain really what our goal is and how that's um, not the case. Right, right. Are there any other issues that you've noticed that have come up at all? Um, not really. Luckily, um, we, you know, we... We had that that time period between the pilot in 2016 to when we started this full-time programming in the summer, um, or the, the whole summer-long program, to sort of work out all those bugs. So um, we had quite a while to to get that all sorted out. So we're sitting pretty well right now. Right, right. Yeah, it's all preparation and it's all paperwork and just getting out and talking to people, I can imagine. What's been the response here in Grand Rapids for from other community uh, projects as far as the vision of this? People are excited and we have gotten a huge positive response from the community. So not only are the participants and the participants' families saying that this is amazing, but volunteers have been saying how this is just an incredible program and, um, and space, you know, and we have a really high demand and there's been a waiting list. And so it really just proves the need is great for programming like this and we cannot have too much of it. And it just is really exciting I think a really neat thing has been to see other um, organizations that are also providing programming for this population. There's there's zero competition there, only collaboration. It's always, you know, like Sarah said, you can't have enough of this kind of thing. So, so there's really a lot of um, excitement within the community and with other local agencies that do similar things because it really is a big collaboration and, and there's no, set, um, you know, no feeling of sort of, competing for participants or funds or anything like that because we really just want to see we all have the same goal and we just really want to see it come to fruition that's great that's great now so let's look down the road here 10 years maybe 20 years from now where do you hope to see growing roots in west michigan we would love to 
to see full-time, you know, year-round programming for residents and non-residents. Um, really getting the community involved, you know, having this, like Jess had mentioned before, having a farm stand and then also going to farmers markets and again having the participants be involved with yeah, from start to finish of growing things and tending to the animals and just really taking off and being a, a, an awesome community space for the community. Well, and I think like Sarah mentioned, um, programming for residents and non-residents, and I think that's an important part of what I was talking about earlier about it not being a segregated sort of a thing is that we want to expand who we can accommodate um, so we can have groups for various populations and just the community in general to come and really experience the therapeutic effects of nature because we're all busy and tired and stressed and everyone can benefit from having a uh, nature-based therapeutic space. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I know there's, uh, you know, you look at all the different uh, cultures and stuff like that and everyone, uh, even, you know, like you said, people even who don't have any uh, troubles, though, it's just nice to get out into nature, see the farm, see the whole operation, get in touch with things, because I think sometimes we get a little too far out uh, and away from it. So to get back into nature again is uh is a great idea. Well, and that's, and that's actually what started our conversation um, from you know many years ago, where I was seeing the deficit in, like you'd mentioned before, with um, Blandford Nature Center of like urban use, and you have just that you know playgrounds even have asphalt, and like there really is even when they're outside, they're not really outside, and so just having that exposure to um, nature and animals and all of this stuff is just again so beneficial for anyone. And so we just want to bring it to Grand Rapids, Kent County. <laughs> That's great. Now, what kinds of advice would you give to someone who's listening to the interview? They live in another state or another country, for that matter, and they're thinking, wow, this is an idea I might want to try doing in my area. Would you be considering the possibility of expansion growing roots to other communities? I think um, in terms of expanding growing roots to other communities, I think that we would like to keep it local. However, um, we would love to be serve as consultants for others wanting to do a similar thing in their area. Um, every area is different and has different needs. So I think for us to go into a different area and say, your community can benefit from X, Y, and Z isn't really our place. But for us to be able to say to someone, um, here's what we've done, what, what, how can we help you adapt this to fit your community is something that we would be more than happy to do um, in the future. Right. And of course, regulations and all that and local ordinances is always, uh, you know, something that is difficult to address unless you're actually living there and you can do it. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and this all started with um, listening to, to parents and participants or potential participants in our area. And that's how it should start wherever it starts is listening to the people that you're going to be serving and, and really hearing what their needs are and figuring out how you can best support that. Right. And then, of course, sometimes you're lucky and you meet the people that you need to talk to in these meetings and you get things rolling without even realizing it. Exactly. Yeah, because you never know who knows who. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, obviously, raising money is still the key factor. How do people get in touch with you to help out? Well, we have our website, wegrowroots.org. Um, we also have a Facebook um, account um, to check in and see what we're doing. Um, subscribe to our e-newsletter, and we can um, send you updates like that, and then also email us directly um, or call us. Um, again, even just talking about 
growing roots and what we're doing in, in the community is um, definitely a help because, like you said, you don't know who knows who or who has a passion for, um, for this type of work. And we always, um, we always accept supply donations, too. You know, any sort of garden supplies or anything that someone might be trying to get off their hands, we can probably find a use for it. Absolutely. <laughs> or, dirt, you know, soil, um, any of that kind of thing. My thanks again to Jessica Roost and Sarah Baker of Growing Roots. You can find links to their website and learn more about their program and their foundation on the webpage for this episode at specialparentsconfidential.com. A great way to connect with us is on our Facebook page, which you can access on the main page of our website. You can comment on our episodes and share ideas for future episodes, too. And don't forget to share Special Parents Confidential on all your favorite social media sites. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>